Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 21. This week, we have a full house. We have myself, Gladys, Sarah, and Mark. We also have a special guest, Offa Sheza, from the Azure Sentinel team. But before we get to Offa, let's take a look at the news. Um, I'll kick things off. A few things really sort of piqued my interest this week. Uh, the first one was the general availability of Azure Attestation. This allows you to essentially vouch for the integrity and trustworthiness of a running process. Probably the most common example of that today would be, uh, say, SQL Server with secure enclaves, where you have to verify that the enclave is the correct enclave and not a rogue's enclave. Uh, talking of which, we've now made available in public preview confidential computing using always encrypted with secure enclaves. So let me just sort of spell this out. So we've historically had SQL Server with secure enclaves on-prem. Uh, we also have confidential computing virtual machines, the DC series, that support the appropriate CPU architectures to support secure enclaves. Well, now we have support for virtual machines running SQL Server with always encrypted using secure enclaves. And that's now in public preview. Um, I've been using it for a few months now in private preview. Uh, it, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, if you're a sort of customer who has to handle sensitive workloads in the cloud where the data must be encrypted, Secure enclaves is certainly an option because you don't necessarily have to decrypt the data uh, on the fly just to, to query it. But that's a discussion for another day. I'll provide links in the show notes. Another uh, cool set of features is in are in HD Insight. Uh, HD Insight now supports uh, IPsec, uh, which is actually pretty cool. IPsec has personally been a bit of a nightmare to configure. Uh, so it'd be good to see what they've done uh, in HD Insight. The second one is that HD Insight now supports customer managed keys for encryption of data at rest. So that's uh, always good news to see. Yeah, so I've got uh, three items today that I wanted to uh, make sure folks were aware of. Um, the first one is that the Azure Security Benchmarks version two um, are now the default configuration in Azure Security Center, or ASC as we like to call it. Um, and so this is pretty cool because it uh, really takes the daylight out of, you know, kind of what Azure Security Center uh, is recommending and what we're recommending through Azure Security Benchmarks. And so um, it just makes it that much easier to implement, measure against, um, and monitor your uh, compliance with those Azure Security Benchmarks and those the best practices in there. Um, and this is really the, the standard across Microsoft that we're aligning all of our security guidance to um, relative to Azure Security. Uh, the second one is that in Azure Sentinel, uh, there's a cybersecurity maturity model certification workbook. And uh, this is for folks that uh, work with the federal government. Um, CMMC is a, is a security standard um, that is, is being required for a number of different uh, US federal government suppliers, uh, sub suppliers and whatnot down the line. And so this is um, a handy way to get really good visibility into um, into how you're doing against that particular control set. And then uh, the last one uh, is a little bit outside of the uh, normal Azure swim lane, but um, I thought it'd be really nice illustration of kind of Microsoft's commitment to cross-platform. Uh, Microsoft Defender for Endpoints, our EDR, now has, uh, has gone general availability for threat and vulnerability management for Mac OS. So if you've got uh, Macs in your enterprise, and you want to have those threat and vulnerability management features, you know, uh, that are integrated with the EDR capabilities. Um, they are now uh, fully generally available uh, on the Mac OS uh, in, uh, in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. So some pretty cool stuff there. So the things that have caught my eye this week is, uh, of course, we've got some security center updates. Always one of my favorites, the Kubernetes workload protection recommendations are now GA. So they have been in preview for some time, but now if you install the Azure policy add-on into your AKS cluster, ASC is gonna monitor your Kubernetes API server against a predefined set of best practices. So you can see if you are adhering to best practices there as well, which is uh, very cool. Also, there's one more thing that I thought was particularly good is the SQL 
data classification recommendation uh, will no longer affect your secure score. So uh, that control now has a secure score value of zero. If you're not classifying your SQL data, it's not going to affect your secure score anymore. And that is something that um, uh, customers definitely do come across. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was um, talking about a bit of Sentinel. Now, we're going to talk about Sentinel quite a bit in this episode, but um, something that uh, one of my teammates posted was a blog post about uh, using Data Explorer for long-term retention of Azure Sentinel logs. Now, if you're not familiar with Azure Data Explorer or ADX, that is a, a tool that we've had in Azure for some time. It also uses KQL. It stores lots of logs like log analytics, but um, the way that you pay for it and it's priced is slightly different. It's based on the retention and processing power. Um, and so it can be used for long term retention of Sentinel logs. Um, my colleague Javier wrote a great blog post, which we'll link to in the show notes about how uh, you might want to uh, keep everything in effectively your hot storage in Sentinel and log analytics for three months or maybe six months, and then you can move it to your warm storage where um, ADX can still have a look at it. And then you might want to take that one step for further and then subsequently, perhaps after a year or something, uh, move it into blob storage for archival. Um, lots of different things you can do there. Uh, it is a very cool uh, integration and recommended architecture practice and something you might be interested in. Um, so go and have a look. And the last thing, uh, I'm sure Offer will talk about this, is we now have a what's new page for Azure Sentinel. So uh, before you would have to look at our tech community blog, but now we do have a dedicated what's new page for Sentinel features, and we are adding lots all the time. So if you go to aka.ms slash AS new, then you can see everything that's new in Azure Sentinel. Last time that we were in the podcast, I um, mentioned that I was uh, changing roles. So I had been basically a month in training. I feel like a newbie uh, drinking from the hose. Um, so I don't really have uh, a lot of news to share, but I wanted to share something that um, I learned from this training that I have been on. I do not really have a need to be connected in Microsoft critical system. So even though I have helped customers to implement pause, I have never uh, seen Microsoft uh, using them. However, during this training, I was impressed with the process Microsoft has for pause. For those of you that are not familiar with this term, privilege access workstation or Paul, also called Secure Access Workstation, or so, is a physical device that has been hardened. Uh, Microsoft recommend using the latest uh, Windows 10 uh, uh, version um, and implement all the uh, embedded security, such as credential guard, exploit guard. Um, if you have Defender for endpoint, uh, put it there. But basically, you limit the amount of that are installed in, in the workstation itself. Also, um, configuration is put in place so there's limited internet access connection and no email. Um, you would ask yourself, why is that? Well, according to Verizon Data Breach uh, Digest report, emails still drive for 90% of the security breaches. So if you force an administrator account to be used only from a hardened physical device where there's no access to email and limited access to the internet, think about the reduction of risk to the environment. I mentioned uh, limited access to the internet because you really would need access to do some administration to uh, the different cloud services. But by controlling access to other websites, then you reduce the risk of having watering hole attacks, uh, which are attacks where websites are used to infect visitors with malware. Uh, you could uh, also uh, have uh, advertisement attacks uh, being done or other browser related attacks. 
So, so that get reduced. Another question that um, often uh, we are asked is, what about if if I use a remote desktop or jump to a server uh, or maybe virtual desktop uh, to do the administration? That only works if uh, the physical machine is still hardened with no access to email and limited internet. The reason for this is um, that if the physical device has access to the internet or email, malware can come in and infect the device. And now it has, uh, that malware has access to extract information from memory. Um, there could be key loggers installed. Um, now um, the malware uh, or the uh, uh, attacker uh, could be uh, monitoring uh, remote sessions that are uh, being performed and capture uh, uh, that information that is being sent across uh, from the physical device to those remote sessions. This is why the device must be the one harder. The device should not have that email access and should not have the internet connection. Now, if you have the physical device hardened and no email and no um, and limited internet, then you could perform a remote connection to other devices that have email and internet access. So like an example, you may have the hardened device um, control completely, and then you may have um, a virtual desktop or VDI uh, where you connect to do your um, regular day-to-day uh, -day email and uh, internet browsing. The one thing that you need to make sure is that is, uh, the connection is tightly secure so malicious attacks uh, do not attempt to jump over. So I really believe on uh, the recommendation that Microsoft have been putting that every administrator, actually more than administrator, developers, uh, network administrators uh, must use privileged access workstations in order to reduce the chance of privileged credentials being captured. So that's it with the news. Thanks, everybody. Uh, let's turn our attention now to our guest, Offa Shezaf. Offa is a principal product manager in the Azure Sentinel team. Welcome to the podcast, Offa. Could you please spend a moment and introduce yourself? Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here today. So my name is Offa Shezaf. Hard to pronounce. Forget about last name. Me offer. I joined Microsoft around two years ago for an exciting project called Azure Sentinel. Uh, I am a SIM guy, and Azure Sentinel is Microsoft's new SIM. Uh, I came for quite many years at ArcSight, which used to be the leader in the SIM market, so I know a thing or two about SIM. Uh, and I'd love to talk about SIM, share my experience, uh, why I like Azure Sentinel, and what excites me in general. Okay, Offer. So let's start with the basics. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, what is Azure Sentinel? So Azure Sentinel is Microsoft's new cloud-native SIM. We launched it around a bit more than a year ago, so it's really new. It's a first for Microsoft, uh, and I think it's also a first in the SIM world. Now, uh, for those that don't know what SIM is, SIM is uh, Security Information Event Management, and it's essentially the nerve center of security operations. So it's this glue system that is there in the SOC Security Operations Center, and it serves the team in the SOC to make sure that no alert goes unnoticed. So what is the role of a SIM? I use the term nerve center, which of course can imply so many things. And you're right, it uh, requires some explanation. Also, I think that a SIM is sometimes something different to different people. So, so I want to share my view, my experience around that. So a, a SIM is the system to manage the incident in the security operations center. Now you can't start there. You have to collect telemetry. You have to collect data. Data might be alerts from the different systems. For example, in the Microsoft world, we know how to collect the alerts from the, all of the Microsoft security systems. 
but not just that, also from other systems. Uh, you also want to collect um, raw data to support those alert and managing the incident around them. Uh, once you've collected it, once you have a, a big pile of information, that's why it's security information and event management, uh, the SIM has a role in detection, in identifying threats and attacks on the organization. Um, however, um, one of the key, I think, misunderstandings around the SIM is that it's not the core detection platform. Uh, any organization has a large number of detection systems. Uh, many of them are, are very specialized at what they do. Uh, we at Microsoft provide a, a number of such systems, most uh, obviously a Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, our EDR system, uh, Microsoft Cloud Security to protect SaaS applications, etc. And detection is a shared responsibility. So um, you should really rely on your uh, expert systems to do detection where they can and augment that with the same to do detection where you have none or where it requires uh, custom uh, algorithms or uh, cross-source detection. Now, once you have detections, uh, you usually want to go on and, and you need to, to manage the incidents. When, when something triggers, when a flag goes on, there are too many of those. Uh, you need to triage those. Uh, um, to investigate those that were triaged is really suspicious, and then respond to something about it. This is why I call it the nerve center. And the same takes you from collecting the telemetry, detecting threats, managing the incidents, and responding to them. Um, every sizable organization should have a same. Small organization pr should probably, it's, it's because they don't have people managing the incidents on a 24 by 7 or near real time, may need to rely on a service provider to do the same, but it means the service provider will need the same. Um, I get asked this a lot by customers, and I'm sure you have been too, but is Sentinel uh, just for Microsoft products because it's built by Microsoft, or, or is it for other things as well? So, so we do get this question a lot, as you mentioned, uh, and I think part of it is because People still don't take Microsoft to be a security vendor. That said, we're probably the largest security vendor out there, and not just because of Sentinel, because we just have market leaders in many of the security um, uh, realms. Uh, and once you consider that we are a, a major security solutions vendor, uh, we try to provide a solution for security, not just to protect Microsoft states. And the same is true for Sentinel, which is a, which is a, a system for a, a protecting any workload, or I should say the nerve center for managing incidents across any workload. So a SIM for Microsoft, other clouds, as well as on-prem workloads. It's important to make the point, uh, I'm assuming that most of the listeners of this podcast are Microsoft users, Azure users. Uh, it's worth mentioning that we do work very well with Azure services and Microsoft services. Uh, we do have a more intimate relationship with the teams. Uh, so out of the box, uh, it's very useful. It's very useful for Microsoft stuff. Why did Microsoft make Azure Sentinel offer? You said you joined right at the beginning. Uh, you know, for an exciting project. Uh, can you give us a bit more on the history on why why we decided to actually make Azure Sentinel for our customers? Uh, actually, it's a good story. We did it because we needed it. So uh, Microsoft organically grew to be, you know, a 10 billion security business. We are also one of the largest IT operators in the world. You know, Azure is a major IT operation. Uh, and we are a large company. So over the years, we had to build our own SOC. We have a SOC internally as well. And the Microsoft SOC teams, there's more than one. There's one protecting Azure, there's one protecting internal IT. We have we've started to morph from uh, using standard SIM tools into using internal technology. So the bits of pieces that Microsoft already developed in order to do security operation management. So uh, for example, 
we have a very, very uh, good uh, event management system called Azure Data Explorer uh, that was developed internally in order to manage logs. We have tons of logs around our cloud services. And internal IT decided to start using this system because they thought it's the best way to manage security events. Essentially, the scene was was built organically internally. And at one point in time, we thought that we just have great technology and we should make a product out of it. And sort of that's the story. There's also the other side, you know, as, as a very large security vendor, we feel we should fill all the gaps and provide a, a overall solution. If I can share what I really like about working for a sim at Microsoft, you know, uh, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And when you're a sim vendor, you think that every problem in the world should be solved by a sim. Being part of Microsoft, I don't have to do that. I can focus on the added value of a sim on top of other products. I think that what I said before about the role of a sim is easier for me because as Microsoft, we have all solutions and we, we are in a better position to advise on how to combine them better. I think that we added the sim to make our security stack whole and provide the best security for our customers. It's interesting that you um, uh, mentioned that because the other products that are more uh, focused, uh, like a defender for endpoint is uh, focused on endpoint, a defender for identity is focused on identity, and now you're bringing all that telemetry together into Sentinel and uh, uh, getting more out of uh, the data being analyzed. What is a cloud native thing? Two stories around that. It's one story broken into. So I'll start elsewhere. When I joined Microsoft, Eliav Levy wired me, and he came also from ArcSight a few years before me, told me, I know you know everything about SIM. I mean, you've been doing SIM for a decade. Now go and learn cloud. Now, I found a new cloud. Uh, you know, a bunch of VMs there. It took me, I think, the better month of, part of six months to understand what a real cloud infrastructure is. You know, the one that maybe two or three vendors in the world actually offer. And it was also the time it took me to understand that cloud native is not just marketing, but it's a real, real advantage. And actually, um, it happened to me in, in Brussels. We were still traveling. Uh, and there's a great thing about the Microsoft office in Brussels in the, in the airport. Uh, so I, I went there to meet um, a government uh, customer. Uh, I landed, crossed the road, entered the building, spent a day there and came back. And it was the best, one of the best trips I ever had because I was just learning. I wasn't too long into Microsoft. I was still more a sim guy than a cloud guy. And the, I, I met two people in the room. One of them was the sim owner, the, the previous sim owner, okay, the one that was going to be replaced in new RFP. And on the other side, was the cloud workloads owner. And I felt that the people on, on one side, the, the same team, they, they just didn't understand how to protect the cloud on one side and what they can get from the cloud on the other side. They may have known they have a big security gap there. And on the other side of the table, I met the cloud security guy and he, he knew not just what he needs to protect the cloud, what are the threats, what are the use cases, how it is different when you, when you leave the physical network, but also why uh, why cloud is better. So a few, I came back and I was convinced. It took me six months after joining. Before that, I just thought we had a great sim. So what, what is cloud native? So, so cloud native uh, is a technology that fits the way that things work in the cloud. So the cloud is temporal. It ever changes. We call it often infrastructure as code. You, you start things and stop things in a zero notice. You know, a VM doesn't really have a lifespan. An IP doesn't have any meaning. Uh, and traditional sims still cherish and glorify the IP address. That can't be the case anymore. Moreover, uh, the promise of the cloud is elasticity. Go as high as you want. The way traditional scene works is that you need to design for capacity, which entirely 
kills the notion of using cloud workloads, which can just grow uh, very high. So for years, I was I was bringing Black Friday as an example of the challenges of scale. I did when working in the arc side and when architecting systems for for customers, asking them, do you have something like Black Friday you have to prepare for? Should you design for you know twice the capacity just to for, for one day? And the same was a story I told after joining Microsoft, understanding the cloud, and and explain to customers that only Sentinel can really do that. Last Black Friday, you know, November 26, 27, was our first true uh, Black Friday with a large, massive amount of customers. The previous one, we've been a month on the road. Uh, and we have a lot of large retail customers, and, and it's amazing to see the peak, you know, the, the, the traffic rising three times as much for one day, uh, which is the promise of the cloud. And with any traditional sim, you'll have to design for Black Friday or not be protected in Black Friday. We sent it, there was no meeting about that. It just works. You know, if we sustained everybody going home during the COVID uh, early days, Black Friday is really not an issue. So, so that's that's the the, the elasticity, the infrastructure as code, the, the the flexibility to grow as much as you need. As well as, if I need to add a third point, uh, the fact that cloud implies that IT has a lot less control. So you need to make sure that you actually monitor everything, even if every business owner has the capability to start services and themselves. So things like policy enforcement in terms of monitoring are very important. So CICD, uh, scaling, all those are terms of the cloud which are important to maintain a sim uh, in the cloud. Of course, they also contribute a lot to on-prem workloads because I'll share with you a, a story about uh, a customer complaint, actually a prospect. I'm not sure there'll be a customer. They said something like that. With our current sim, we really, really like the flexibility which we think is missing in Sentinel. On the other hand, we don't like the fact that Sentinel is too much DevOps which is contradicting nature and means the customer. As I mentioned, seeing people are not always already into the cloud. doesn't understand that DevOps is the modern way to get flexibility, which we provide. So uh, a bit of a lengthy answer. Arthur, you talked about Sentinel and automation and SecOps and doing DevOps uh, in, in our sort of new new hybrid environments that customers are coming across with cloud. But how can Sentinel help do that automation piece from the SecOps side of things? So, so first of all, uh, a point I missed in the last question, in the, in the last topic about cloud native sim, cloud is built very well for integrations. So things which on-prem, you know, how to even get from system A to system B, in the cloud it's just, a, a, you know, a REST endpoint. Uh, with this in mind, Sentinel excels in automating your SecOps. Now, a word before that, a bit of a, again, a personal view on SIM. SIM is an oxymoron because everyone will tell you that they don't have enough security people and they want to automate as much as possible. That said, the concept of the SIM implies that you still want a human to be there somewhere in the middle. So an EDR may be able to detect and protect immediately. So detect and block. A SIM is the overlay that the system on top that gets the EDR, so Microsoft Defender for Endpoints detection or detects itself and enables a human to triage and investigate and respond because, because it didn't work at the first expert systems level because the decision was less clear. Now, with that in mind, still human are, experts are scarce, hard to find. Uh, and we want to save on the time and make them more productive. Uh, we also don't want to scare them away and have them leave after a year when they do just you know, boring stuff. With this in mind, one of the great things about Sentinel is that it enables you to have the human in the loop, but still automate as much as possible. Uh, we are using logic apps. One of the advantages of living in the 
Azure environment as our automation mechanism. It's tightly integrated into the core incident management within Sentinel, as, as a model within Sentinel, and it enables uh, essentially automating any workflow. You'd think that automation is usually about blocking things. That's what people have in mind, you know, but that's something that Defender for Endpoint would do already. Keep in mind that I mentioned the theme is for a human to decide. So in practice, in many cases, automation is not about a shoot-up game. We saw a bad guy, let's shoot him and you know get him off the air. It's usually about automating the process of decision. So collecting more information, for example, automatically, uh, getting this uh, additional information from uh, uh, Azure AD that can support the decision I need to make. So, so in general, Sentinel is one of the only things which is tightly integrated with an automation engine. Uh, and what I see is that if in a typical environment, typical sim environment, customers implement use cases. Use cases are the same term for a threat detection and response uh, uh, flow. Uh, and they, they collect the data and create a detection uh, capability on top of that. With Sentinel, it's the first thing I've used where, where users immediately go and, and write automation to make the, the uh, investigation response more efficient. I wanted to touch on one of the things that you, you had mentioned kind of early on in the description, the, the sort of XDR or extended uh, detection response uh, versus SIM. Like, how do you think about like, you know, which use cases, which detections, et cetera? How do you think about like which ones kind of belong with like an EDR or a Defender for Identity type of capability versus which ones would be in a SIM? Like, where do you draw that line? So I, I, I mentioned that and I also mentioned that I, I love working for Microsoft because it means that I can openly talk about that. I don't have to pick sides, which is unique. With that in mind, there's the high level answer and the techie answer to that. So the high level answer is that I believe that XDR is the expert detection system. The difference is that XDR and XDR stand for X detection and response. Uh, for those that don't know, the original sort of system defender for endpoint is an EDR endpoint detection and response. And the term was extended to cover systems that cover multiple areas. So for example, at Microsoft, our XDR covers endpoint which is Defender for Endpoint, Identity Protection, which is Defender for Identity, uh, Office Protection, Defender for uh, Office, and general SaaS applications with our uh, cloud app security. So those are, our, that's the X in detection and response, those workloads. As a note, I believe those are the modern workloads you need to, to worry about, cloud workloads and the endpoint. Leaving XDR side after I explain what that is, XDR has the advantage of intimate understanding of the protected workload. It has intimacy with uh, the protected system. This enables the research team at each one of the workload protection models to create the best detections out there. It also enables a great investigation mechanism that's specifically tailored, for example, in endpoint for processes, process activations, etc. So this is the expert system is exactly the right place to do so. The challenge is that there are many X in XDR. So there are many different workloads. Uh, no XDR will cover all of them. Uh, any organization would have their custom applications, you know, the applications that are not covered by XDR. Even at Microsoft, we have two defenders. We have the Microsoft One Workplace Defender, so Microsoft Defender, Microsoft Fixed Defender, and we have Azure Defender. And there's a reason why they are not still the same. The others, different personas, different people usually use them. And on top of that, you may have third party firewalls from someone else that have their expert detection system. And you need to consolidate. You need a single system that collects first and foremost the alerts from all those, providing a single pane of glass across all those workloads uh, and also complement. And that's now explains better why I mentioned complements detection we're missing. If it's a workload that does not have detection built into it, uh, I often bring VPN as the 
one security system that has no security in it. Uh, there's no detection mechanism for v VPN. <laughs> there's also uh, there's also uh, in many cases uh, a, a, an advantage in doing cross source detection, uh, sort of the, the 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 whole kill chain, so to speak. Uh, uh, and then you have those alerts popping in from every side. You need a central console to manage them. So that's why it's probably not XDR versus SIM, but XDR with SIM, uh, which would be my position. That makes sense. And and would that um, would that also extend to because uh, you didn't mention it specifically Azure Defender as well, which is the XDR for the various Azure services like Azure SQL and storage and Kubernetes and whatnot. Yes, it's the great thing about the letter X in this context is that it can imply any detection system. So yes, Azure Defender as well. It's also here the relationship is even more intimate because Azure Defender does not have its own investigation system. It doesn't collect the raw telemetry and enables you to further analyze and hunt through it. Since it shares the same environment as Azure Sentinel, Azure Sentinel is by definition the, the investigation platform. I do want to mention you know, Azure Defender is the detection system for Azure Defender has another part to it, which is Azure Security Center, which focuses on a different area that has a more complex relationship with the SIM, and that's security posture management. And Mark, you'll remember the actual acronym you often used, but there's a whole bunch of systems which not specialize in detecting threats and attacks, but rather in checking whether your environment is secure enough. Uh, that's the reason you have secure score in your uh, in, in Azure. That's the reason you run vulnerability scanning on your systems. It's not to detect an attacker coming in, it's to detect whether your systems are configured correctly to prevent attacks in the first place. Those two use cases, so threat management versus security posture management, they have some level of relationship, but there are two different processes within an organization. One is reactive, one is proactive, and Azure Security Center, the part which provide uh, recommendations, uh, for example, is more, or the, the part that runs scanning for you, is more on the security poster side of the house. Yeah, so the way I like to the way I like to think about it is potential risk, which is the posture management things that could go wrong versus actual realized risk, which is, hey, there's an actual attacker that did something with that. A very good way to put it. The important thing is, again, the, the role of a SIM. Uh, when you have a, a SIM for a vendor selling only SIM, they may suggest to you to do everything with your SIM. I think, again, expertise is important here, and security posture management should be done by tools specializing in that, such as Security Center. Yep. So I got one last uh, question before I turn it over to Michael. We we kind of went from zero to SIM pretty fast as Microsoft, and, and not just a SIM, but a fairly full-featured one at hyperscale. How did Microsoft pull that off? So another thing, I mentioned that it took me six months to understand why cloud native is not a marketing term, but a, a real advantage. There's another thing I, I really love about uh, talking about Sentinel, and that's that when asked whether we support something. Uh, in many cases, I can say I have no clue, but I assume we do, and I'll go figure. I go find it for you. And the reason for that is that beyond the set of capabilities developed organically within one engineering team I'm a member of, we also enjoy the capabilities of a lot of other uh, elements within Azure uh, that we bundled in into our sim. So I'll mention a few, uh, an anecdote or, uh, or two on those. Uh, one of them is Azure Data Explorer. Azure Data Explorer is a big data platform, specifically targeted event management. In everything I'm saying about uh, scalability comes from that, the fact that Black Friday is not an issue for a customer. So that's Azure Data Explorer. They create things. They create new functions in their query language, and I know about it when customers tell me about it sometimes. I should do better. By now, I, I do better. Uh, but sometimes I, we struggle with a feature. Uh, 
geolocation, and then they create a new function that solves the whole issue for us, which happened a couple of months ago. So that's one. We also have log analytics. Log analytics is a log management platform built on top of Azure Data Explorer. It had it transformed ADX, which is passed into more of a SaaS service. It includes a, a lot of capabilities to collect information. That's our starting point. So we started from a very solid log management platform. Now we wanted to add automation. As I mentioned, we went and we found that LogicOps is a great automation engine. It's mature. It has hundreds of connectors. Connectors in the terms of automation implies the piece that enables to reach out to another system and automate it. So we didn't have to, to implement things. Uh, an anecdote. As a scene, we need dashboarding. Dashboarding is important because one of the things you want is visibility. So into this status of your threat management system. It's also a good way to provide capabilities around investigation in certain specific areas, so a specialized investigation interface. When we started, we used the technology, an Azure technology called Azure Dashboard, and we were in a public preview. And public preview is there. You always think it's just a stage, but actually it is there to get reviews, to get people to tell you what they need. So we got feedback on the dashboards and people told us that they're not good enough. Specifically, they wanted more interactive dashboards. Uh, they wanted to drill down and they wanted to not just to have a large screen showing on a large monitor in the security operations center, but rather to be able to actually use dash dashboards in order to drill into data and analyze data and investigate. So it took us something like two and a half weeks to change all our dashboarding features from one Microsoft technology called Azure Dashboards into another one called Azure Workbooks. Both are available. Both are developed by teams within Microsoft. Both have continued to evolve since. And now let's provide a very robust um, dashboarding, reporting application capabilities uh, around that. Report generator, Power BI is there, works very nicely with Azure Sentinel. So the power of the environment ecosystem really enabled us to multiply the capabilities of our development, my development team, to create a much more mature and robust product than you'd see, you'd think is possible in, well, a year and some. So I have to ask, so so what's new? What's in what's in public preview and what's, uh, what's coming down the pipe? First of all, um, it's coming fast. So whatever I'm saying now will be different, uh, well, no different will be released, there'll be new stuff coming in a month, two or three. I do want to mention, we have a very long roadmap. So a few areas that are, I think, of interest for for Azure guys. First, the sim is all about connectors. You need to connect and get data from different sources. And to Mark's question before, one of the areas where we really had to ramp up because it's ours was to get from somewhere else in the Azure environment was sources. It was connectors to sources to collect data. Uh, so we're rapidly releasing those connectors. And I mentioned that because I think yesterday we released 30 new connectors uh, and the rate is accelerating. So that's an example. More to, I mentioned DevOps. I mentioned that we are very cloud native. So automation is important to us. We are of course API first. Uh, instantly, uh, it's worth mentioning that we have a very, very active community. We have a lot of industry experts that specialize in Sentinel uh, because because they like it, because it's exciting. And until recently, we actually were relying on a partial model created on one of our uh, champions, not from Microsoft, as our partial model. Uh, we recently uh, released a PowerShell CMD-LED for Azure Sentinel, so you can now automate everything, do everything using PowerShell. Going into larger, more important areas, user and entity behavior analytics is sort of a premium feature area in the same world. The idea is that moving from sort of source event-driven detection into focusing on identifying uh, threats from users. If you think about it, especially in the cloud world, uh, the network, you know, brute forcing is important, but not as much. On the other hand, identity-based attacks are very important, whether it's uh, it's malicious insider, whether it's an over, it's, it's an account overtake. 
so user entity behavior analytics, which tries to identify those attacks and not by detecting known patterns, but by doing behavior analytics, such as peer analysis. Is this user doing what his peers are doing or something entirely different? Is a premium feature in the same world. And we a couple of months ago, we introduced our own user entity behavior analytics. It's extensive, it's interesting, and we provide it as, as you know a free feature. You just now it's part of Sentinel. So I think that's pretty exciting. So, you know, actually the most recent addition to our new stuff is finally we have a what's new page that went online today. Uh, and we'll of course share the link to it and that will enable you to get to the full list, which is just getting longer every day. Thanks, Ofer. Um, every time I, I talk to you, I learn something new and I have learned a ton, but where can we learn more about Sentinel? I'll, I'll talk a bit here about my own personal project. I talked a lot, you thought that Sentinel is me, Sentinel is not me, Sentinel is a large number of people working hard to, to make the product work for our customers. One pet project of mine is the uh, Sentinel Ninja training, which is not an official training, but it is very effective. It's it's the place to get a, a very organized uh, introduction and training on Sentinel by combining all the webinars that we did through the years, through the year, it's not years, around uh, Azure Sentinel. And, and it's actually, you can read, you can select the, the webinars you want to watch. Uh, and what I did recently is move from very feature-oriented uh, description of the world or of Azure Sentinel into a more user-centric. So if you are a manager, you just want to understand something about Sentinel, you will have a module for you, the first part. If you are an architect, there's the part from you. If you're an analyst, if you're there sitting in the SOC day in, day out in your shift, there's the part for you. So I'm pretty proud of that. I think that in the nine months, the the training exists. Uh, I had something like 230,000 views, so it's popular, and the product is popular. I think that's the best starting point. I do want to mention one roadmap item. I think it's coming out in a few weeks. I'm willing to talk about it because it's certification. Uh, if the Ninja training was not official so far, we're going to release certification for it in the near future. So one thing we like to ask our guests is if you had one final thought to leave our listeners, uh, what would it be? Sarah, um, uh, which I work every day with, had uh, discussed to her team, and I was a guest on the call, getting security certifications, uh, which is an important part of our business. Uh, you know, uh, people, that's part of it. Just talk about training. That's how you get trained. And it got me thinking about the fact that I, I've never been certified in anything. So I never did any security certification. Maybe you wonder whether that's good or bad and whether certifications are good for security or not. You know, with Solargate being a moment where you have to think whether the world knows how to secure itself, uh, I did want to think about whether I know what's right in terms of security. It, brought me to think about an analogy uh, from a different, very, very, uh, also very current topic. Uh, I, I'm from Israel, and Israel is the world leader in COVID vaccination. We, we did it very fast. Uh, in the first three weeks, we had 20% of the population vaccinated. Uh, we are now at more than 50. The challenge is that we got, we, we essentially got close to vaccinating everybody who's willing to get vaccinated. Uh, we are a democracy, and so we can't enforce. On the other hand, uh, we are also topping the charts in the pandemic rate. So, and don't get me wrong; it's not that the vaccine is not working. You know, we are a very big trial space for the vaccination because so many of us were vaccinated. Uh, so the numbers are pretty good when you're vaccinated, but it's not total. It's still 50%, probably a bit less because some just now got it. So the question is, how did we manage to be so fast in vaccinating? And on the other hand, also being, you know, high, uh, higher in the list of uh, affected countries before I think 
every European country, including the UK. My taking both cases, and the relevant one for certifications, is that in both cases, it's because we're not following the rules. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing. On the one hand, you'll, you'll understand why not following the rules would mean more people, you know, in fact, keeping their habits, you know, not social distancing. On the other hand, uh, so, so if you stop here, then not following the rule is not good. On the other hand, not following the rules is also the reason that you got people vaccinated so fast. Because, for example, we found tricks as to how to make the logistics around the vaccination easier. I'll give you one example. Uh, the vaccines come in a sort of uh, polyethylene boxes that hold the small bottles. And it's a box, it's a sizable box that has um, around a thousand shots each. Now, a thousand shots means that you need one vaccination center. That's why you see all those big vaccination centers that need to distribute to a lot of people in a short time because once you defreeze it, it dies fast. What we did in Israel is we sliced the boxes into pizza size trays so we can deliver them to smaller locations. So I'm told we were approved by Pfizer to do that, but somebody thought about it and decided to go with it because the neighbor's getting further. The other thing, even less orthodox, is that in Israel, uh, once once shots were going to be lost, actually that's the way I was vaccinated, I got a WhatsApp message from, uh, I live in a small community, so there's somebody here in charge of COVID. She sends a WhatsApp message to the community saying, if you go now to this town, 20 kilometers from here, they'll vaccinate you even if you're not in the uh, approved groups because they have shots to get rid of. This way, and I, I've heard stories about places where it was the end of the day, they had, to, they had another you know, 100 to get rid of. They went to the street and asked people, do you want to come in? And vaccinated them. So that's the other side of not following the rules. Is it good or bad to follow the rules? How do we do with security? Should we just go by the book or should we, you know, do things differently? Think out of the box, not always follow the rules, not use our certifications to go back to <laughs> where I started with Sarah. That's not an easy one. I personally, I never did certification. I usually am and I'm Israeli. I probably tend on the side of not following the rules. Given the Solari gate, we may need to think again about the best approach at this level. So something to think about. All right, then. So let's bring this episode to a close. Uh, Arthur, thanks so much for joining us this week. I know you're incredibly busy. As someone who doesn't use Azure Sentinel on a day-to-day -day basis, and I'd like to concur with Gladys, uh, I learned a great deal today. Thank you very much. We also trust that you, our listeners, found this podcast useful. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.